Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, just um, appreciate all of you that are uh, buying my book and reviewing on Amazon. The book is called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, the purpose of the book is to bring voice to so that more people can hear from LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and their parents. And so there's hundreds of stories in there to help us do better. The podcast is another way to do better is we're going to hear from another great um, gay Latter-day Saint, my friend Colby Lowe. Welcome to the podcast, Colby. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time coming. It has been a long time coming. Um, we're doing a Zoom. Colby is not in my home. He's in his home. We're doing Zoom. I can see Colby, but you're just hearing him. Um, we haven't quite figured, we're not going to get out of the audio podcast. There's so many of you listen to those where you really couldn't see the video. Um, but I remember, I'm going back in my Facebook messages to Jan December 1st, um, 2016. That's four years ago from, from when we're recording this, not quite four years ago. And it says, Dear Colby, thanks for accepting my Facebook friend request. I'm a recent released YSA Bishop and become a huge LGBTQ ally. It's really my new calling. I, on my Facebook page for the past year, I've been trying to help others better understand how to love and accept our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Your coming out post was one of the best I've ever read. So honest, so sincere. I just sent your wonderful spirit, your ability to love and bless many. Often better, be, often better because of your insights as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. My LGBTQ friends are some of Heavenly Father's choicest souls. I really mean this. Then um, I just kind of go on to just introduce myself. And we've been trading messages ever since then. And um, I, you know, I was trying to scroll back to your Facebook page to find your coming out post, but it really touched me. And I think somehow it's your mother. I think somehow your mother shared it or somebody, somebody else made me aware of you as a great coming out Facebook post. So I actually stalked you and <laughs> found you and read the post. And that's why I Facebook friend request you because somehow I became aware of your post. I assume you still remember that post. That's been four years ago. Tell us a little bit about that post. Yeah, it's, I just, you hear just you saying four years ago, uh, a lot has happened since. And I, uh, I remember that day extremely well. Um, my brother was actually on his mission when I decided to um, make that post. And I, if I remember it correctly, it was on his birthday, which he was a little upset at me kind of stealing his thunder for that day. But um, that was uh, uh, that day was kind of the culmination of so many prayers and pleads and just so many things. Um, I sat down and I wrote my post, and I don't even think I told my mom uh, before I posted it. She was uh, one of the few people that knew that I was gay um, and, you know, her and, and a select number of friends. Um, and that 
day was a day where I felt some of the strongest love from the people that I know and that are in my life. Um, it was definitely uh, a concern uh, to some when I when I posted it. My mom did mention to me, um, you know, like what are people going to think? Um, what are they going to say? Uh, and my response was, I am posting this not just to be who I am, but also to kind of take control over the relationships that I have with people. Um, I'd much rather me come out and then have someone say, I don't agree with that. I don't want to be your friend anymore. And sounds harsh, but kind of cut them out right there instead of uh, continue on with something more fake or um, something that wasn't authentic to begin with. So I told my mom, like, I, I just need to take control and um, yeah, I, so I did. <laughs> Do you ever go back and read the comments on your down days? Definitely. I, um, I, there, there are definitely days that kind of hit harder than most or people say something that hits uh, not so good. And that's, um, that's a post where I just have a digital or like a physical here is how much people love you and it doesn't matter who you are. They will love you either, either way. No. Is it a public Facebook post or is it just, can just your friends see it? Um, I believe it is public. And we'll yeah. link listeners. We'll link to that post. We'll figure out how to link to it. So you don't have to scroll back his whole Facebook page. If you actually <laughs> we will put a link in the podcast description. And if it is public, you can read it. And um, I th we'd like to do that. Even, even though it's four years old, it's still a big part of your life story. Just by way of more of introduction, Colby is 26. He um, has a really good job with a company in Utah. Colby has colon cancer. And I've been following him on social media as he's been hospitalized a lot. And... Um, he, that cancer, uh, he'll update us. I think there's better feelings about that cancer right now, but that cancer is uh, spread to his lymph nodes. And he has Crohn's and he's had many um, surgeries, abdominal surgeries and um, chemotherapy. And so, you know, at age 26, in the best years of your life, Colby is facing, you know, a life-threatening illness that is um, pretty brutal. And Separate from that, but part of his life stories we're talking about is he's gay. And I've never had somebody on the podcast that's quite walking the same road Colby is. And sometimes, um, and I've done this, I've compared sexual orientation, like being gay, like a disease. It's sort of a, something that happens in mortality where something went awry and it's all going to be correct in the resurrection. And I've heard a lot of people that aren't gay and don't have serious illness sort of talk about that. But here is Colby that's walking both of these roads. And we visited about this before we went live. And he has some of the very best insights into this that will, that have already brought me to tears. So that we will get to that in the podcast. Um, and it'll be a blessing and an honor for all of us to hear as Colby 
is dealing with very complex issues, but very different issues. And to sort of put them in the same bucket, I think, as you'll hear Colby share, is not the same and not fair. But let's talk about Colby, like some of my guests, has come prepared and given me a little outline so I can ask him questions. And that helps me as a podcast moderator. We started with prayer, and we just pray that this will be helpful. Um, talk just about talk about um, your mission a little bit, um, where you went, how long you were out, and how you navigated um, being a missionary and being gay. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that was definitely a hard road to navigate. Um, I just before my mission, I had mentioned uh, to my bishop at the time uh, a few of the things I was going through. Still, hadn't really come to terms. Uh, well, you know, I I had come to terms with the fact that I was gay, but it was still hard to say out loud, um, even to those who I trusted um, and loved. And I I. Um, so sorry. Anyway, I had so many things coming to my mind. Um, so I served in Spokane, Washington. Uh-huh. Um, I had a kind of a different experience in the MTC. It was right when there was a huge influx of missionaries, and I believe it was right close to the age change. Um, and even a little before that, where they split the missions and created a, a whole bunch of new ones. Uh, and my MTC experience was a little different. I entered the MTC at the beginning of November, um, and I was there for a few weeks before being sent home um, because of my Crohn's. I had complications, and I had to be hospitalized a wow. couple of times there. Um, and I had the most miserable time being home. Uh, at that point, it was, I think the policy was they wanted you to be home around six months before they let you go back out uh, just to make sure everything was good with your health. But I fought that. <laughs> um, and I actually got back into the MTC three weeks later with my same training group. Wow. Um, and so it was... Uh, it was pretty crazy to happen. Along with that, I was also in the MTC with my sister. So that was kind of a fun, wow, uh, weird thing to do. I'd hug her and I'd get like, you know, audible gasps because I was hugging a sister. And I was like, no, no, this is my actual sister. You know, it's okay. Um, but yeah, so, so my MTC experience was a little, little weird. That was also my first, uh, first experience with snow. I'm from Vegas. So, um, so yeah, went to the field. Um, I had the pleasure of being with my trainer for about four and a half months. Um, and I love him with all my heart. Um, he was uh, definitely a more strict missionary. And I think it was cool having us be companions because I was able to loosen him up a little bit, get him to joke around. Uh, and he was able to, I wouldn't say put me in line because I was obedient. Um, but, you know, 
definitely keep my focus on on the work. And I ended up getting a new companion. And then right around that time, I had been in the same city for nine months of my mission. Um, and I started having some health problems again with my Crohn's. Uh, I had an internal infection and was actually sent to the hospital in Kennewick. Uh, this was right when they split the mission. So I was moved from the Spokane mission to the Kennewick mission, which is also weird because that's my sister's mission. <laughs> wow. It was uh, a little crazy that we had literally neighboring missions. Um, but I was, uh, I was sent to the hospital in Kennewick. And what's crazy is I contribute um, me surviving that hospital trip with my mission president at the time. Um, my mission president was pretty new. And he was a very soft-spoken guy. He was very like, there's a reason we have an hour at lunch. You know, you need to take a break. If you finish lunch early, go ahead and take a nap. Like, he was an extremely gentle and calming presence to be around. Um, and when I was in the hospital in Kennewick, they were letting me eat, which they shouldn't have been doing with the uh, infection and the blockage that I had um, and were actually giving me the wrong medications. Uh, it was scary because I was also given pain medications, which made me really loopy and I didn't have any idea what was supposed to be happening with my care. And basically me being transported home it all came together one night when my mom had talked to my mission president and said, you know, that's not the care he should be getting. That's not what his doctors here think that should be happening. Like they're killing him there. And I still remember my mission president almost barging into the hospital room um, uh, with a louder voice than I'd ever heard him talk before. He had never spoken really above just a soft, almost whisper, um, and fought for me, told the, told the doctor and the nurses there that I wasn't getting my care that I needed and um, demanded that I be released. And of course, they had to say, you know, he would be released against medical advice. And he said, yes, I know. Um, I actually was put on a flight. And Flew home to Vegas where my mom, my family, they were waiting for me. I had no idea where I was. I literally went from the Vegas airport to the hospital in Vegas and was there for about two weeks more until my infection was gone. Um, still one of those moments where I would not be here if it weren't for other people listening to promptings and, and actually acting on them. And so my, my mission was short, but I, I did what I was supposed to do. <laughs> Tell our listeners the name of your mission president. Yeah, that was a uh, president Ware. 
That's really cool story of a mission president sort of following impressions to do something that it's not in the white handbook for a mission president, I think, to take missionaries out of the hospital against doctor orders. Um, and I love your mom. Tell us, your listeners, your mom's name. Ah, my mom's name is Cindy. So I love, you know, I love parents have personal revelation for their kids. And I love your mom. Something about a mama's heart, Colby, that sometimes just knows things. Oh, and yeah. I love the way she got involved and directly talked, maybe directly the mission president, um, and figured out what was going on there. And they both realized what was right for you and got you home and sounds like saved your life. Yeah. My, uh, if there was a picture in the dictionary for mama bear, it would definitely be my mom. Um, tack on that, the fact that my, my dad passed away when I was younger and she's had to be both mama bear and papa bear. And it just, uh, you don't mess with her kids. <laughs> How many siblings do you have? I have two siblings. I have an older sister and then a younger brother. And um, that would have been interesting for your sister to hear her missionary brother in the same mission just sort of got medevaced out. I don't know if you took a commercial flight or a medevac flight. Yeah, so they stuck me on a commercial flight. And they were supposed to have someone with me. And my family said when they, they got me at the airport, I like couldn't really tell you where I was. and. There was a whole lot to the process that probably could have been done a little bit better, but. And your sister stayed on her mission, were you? So if she, if she had actually just gone home right before me. So you were both home together. And so we were both home. Yeah. Um, thanks for your service. Um, you did everything. I, I, I assume you're at peace with what you've done. You did everything you could. And I think you did everything Heavenly Father asked you to do. Um, and I assume you're at peace with your mission. And a mission is not serving a, this isn't for Colby because he understands this, but serving a mission is not based on time or I think it's based on your desire to serve and, and doing your best and honorably serving a mission is not based on time or any specific outcomes. In fact, I think some people that don't serve a mission um, because of lots of different reasons, would serve if they could and and should and would receive all the same blessings that someone that served. I think we're blessed based on the desires of our hearts, necessar not necessarily on exact what we're able to do. Um, so now um, talk about BYU um, and being there. I think you're still in the closet at BYU. Yep. I... So after I got out of the hospital, my sister who stayed with me for uh, the whole two weeks while I was in the hospital, she just said, hey, you should move up to Utah with me. Uh, you know, you should go to school up there and we could live together. We were really, really, really close. And so that was something I did, moved up here and started attending BYU. Um, and that was, uh, that was definitely a different, <laughs> different kind of experience for me, especially still uh, being in the, in the closet. Um, I had already kind of had a different experience with kind of the church 
uh, culture that's around LGBTQ people. And uh, I, I felt even more out of place at BYU. That is even possible to fathom. Um, it, it, the, I, I would say the hardest thing, um, and the hardest thing especially with just the church in general at the time, was that my goals in life did not line up with those who I was around. I was a single guy in a singled ward at BYU where most guys at my age who are LDS at BYU are trying to get married, finish their degree, start a family, have kids. Um, And it was really tough for me to stay active and faithful during that time, especially when even going to church or, hey, are you thinking about getting married or what are your goals with that? My goals were to live the gospel the best that I could um, in the most meaningful way. So that, that was definitely something that was hard for me. And it wasn't until I actually had to stop school once again because of my health um, that I felt comfortable enough to to come out, I guess, publicly on Facebook. Thanks for talking about um, your experience at BYU and how I like where you frame up your goals are different and just, it's hard. Yeah, I just recognize that that's a reality for gay Latter-day Saints, especially closet ones, as as you just don't fit in and your goals are different. You don't quite know how to have the same outcome, the same dreams that all your straight friends are feeling. And to be emotionally healthy, sometimes you need to find places where you just do better emotionally. So I don't think that's a sign of your weakness or a sign of you needing to do something to sort of um, steer yourself in a better spiritual direction. I think it's just an honest statement of what it's like. Um, and I like to use the word culture because I think our culture can improve um, to create a feeling of belonging and create a feeling that um, your goals realistically are different than your straight friends, and we need to sort of create space for that and understanding and empathy. Talk about just your decision to come out. That's something that is a big deal, and I assume that you been thinking that for a long time and do I come out? Do I not just help our listeners? This is kind of you talking to other people that are wondering if they should come out. So just share your story there, Colby. Yeah. Um, coming out is such a personal decision. Um, I have given a lot of advice to some of my friends who were still closeted about this before. And it's something where I can like, I can talk about my experience and kind of advice and ultimately it's going to be up to them. And it's, it's just so personal. There's a, a point where I, there, there was one night where I couldn't take it anymore. I was sitting in my apartment. Um, I had a roommate who just came back from a date. He was grilling me about, you know, why I wasn't going on so many dates. 
And I could not handle it anymore. And I blurted out to him, I was like, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going on dates, I'm gay. And that was the first wow. time that I had like actually said that out loud. Wow. Um, and such a scary thing because especially in, in kind of our, our church culture, that's a word that a lot of members are afraid of. Um, they always say, you know, sexual preference or sexual orientation. Um, and even growing up, gay was kind of a taboo word in the house. We just like, that wasn't a word that we said. So I, that night I, I blurted it out to my roommate. He had no idea what to say. So he was kind of shocked. I grabbed my phone and I left. And I remember it was super snowy. Um, I got on the phone with my mom and I just broke down in tears. Um, and I told her, I was like, I'm gay. This isn't going to change. Um, this isn't a phase. It's not something that will change. Please don't try to change it. And it was the first time where I had said that and I like I set those boundaries and those expectations and um and the relief that I felt after getting off the phone with my mom was honestly indescribable um literally a weight that I'd been carrying for 20 plus years that I was finally able to just take off. And it wasn't even a way I had to give to somebody else. Um, it wasn't a weight that I had to like give to my heavenly father to help me. It was a weight that had literally just been placed on by me and kind of how I grew up. And, you know, there's no, there's no person to fault for that. Um, but the, the best way I can describe it is it's, I felt like I'd been holding my breath for 20 years and I was finally able to breathe. It was such a good feeling. It's a beautiful segment. Thanks for sharing your heart with us. Do you remember much of that conversation with your mom? Um, and this is kind of you talking to other parents if they get that call or they find out they have an LGBTQ child. Your mom may have said some things that now further down the space she wouldn't have said. What did she say? This is Cindy. I sense you've got a good relationship with your mom. Do you remember things she said in that first call or that first week that were particularly helpful? Yeah. Um, you know, I, she said a lot of things that were extremely helpful during our conversation. One of which was just, I love you and I love you no matter what. Um, that was something that I needed to hear, even though I knew it, like I knew it in my head and I did know it in my heart, but there was something about coming out where I felt like that would change. 
so hearing her just say that she loved me and that it really didn't matter was so helpful. Um, something that I think a lot of parents of LGBTQ kids or youth go through is they kind of go into panic mode a little bit um, when they when they hear something like that. Um, and it is definitely easy to say the wrong thing in a moment like that. Um, I would say it's it's always better to take a little bit of time to process what your kid is actually saying to you, or it doesn't even really have to be your kid, anyone else who looks up to you in, in any sort of role model way. Um, but just to take a moment and take a couple days, process what they told you, remind them that you love them. Um, because things can definitely get uh, not good. <laughs> um, I think parents are also fixers. They just try to fix stuff and they think that it's something that needs to be fixed when it's really not. And that also causes problems on the kids' end. I, I know that there were some, at the time, questionable things that my mom had told me and I uh, reacted to them in not such a great way. Uh, and something that I have come to realize is it took me 22 years to come to terms with who I was. And I'm really sitting here trying to expect my mom to come to terms with it in a second. Like I almost it felt like I needed to give her 22 years to, to process that and, and, and be okay with that. Um, and so, yeah, I just, be patient and and remind them that you love them. I'd say those are my my biggest pieces of advice. It's really helpful, Colby. Talk about talk to parents that think they might have an LGBTQ child. Um, should they ask that child if they're gay or trans or lesbian? Um, if they have an impression about that, or should they wait for the child to come out to them? That is a, that is also a really hard one to navigate. Um, I think that part of that journey takes place way before you have that inkling if your kid is part of the LGBTQ community. Um, and I mean that by like, if if they act a certain way or talk a certain way or, or give off a certain impression and you think that they are gay or trans or lesbian or whatever, then I think that you should try to foster an environment where your child feels comfortable enough that they could tell you when they're ready. Um, I have been put in situations where I've been kind of backed into a corner or forced to defend myself in terms of my sexuality and they aren't the best uh, positions to be in. And 
I, I would say that to the parents that are listening, if you, if you think that your kid needs to come out or um, has something to say to you, the best thing you can do is to remind them that you are there for them and that you're willing to listen and just, just kind of foster that environment. I don't, I don't really think pushing them or specifically asking if they are can help, but my opinion on that goes a bunch of different ways because we all have different relationships with our parents. It's a good, um, that's good. Um, my advice is really your advice. I think parents, I, I have said this on the podcast. I have terrible gaydar at this point, if that's a term. And if, <laughs> I hope that's not a negative term. I sort of thought I could, before I stepped in this space, pick out all the gay people in mm-hmm. around me. And after meeting with so many um, gay and lesbian people, um, I have terrible gaydar because I, <laughs> the people that I meet with often were people that I would never pick up. So some of that is a stereotype that I've developed that's not accurate. And so there may be parents that um, just think, you know, I'm looking at my kids, I'm looking at their interests, I'm looking at whatever and I'm not seeing any of the stereotypes, so obviously I don't have an LGBTQ child, and I would caution them to conclude that um, because you may still have an LGBTQ child. So I think you, everybody should just go on the assumption that people around them are part of a marginalized group, and we should just be saying kind things about marginalized groups of people. Um, I think of my transgender friends right now, they seem to be on the edge of the margins, not because God put them there, but because society has put them there. And um, we often, and then I think of the scripture unto these, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So I always kind of naturally drawn the transgender Latter-day Saints. I don't want to say one one letter within the LGBT spectrum is a harder road or an easier road. I don't want to do that, but I just... I just think that's part of my baptism covenants. And um, so I, I just think that creating a, a feeling of kindness towards everybody allows parents to be safe and local leaders to be safe, that if you've got an LGBTQ child or somebody just needs to open up about complicated stuff, they just feel safe talking to you. And isn't that what we want as parents and leaders? But if we're always talking about how bad the world is and pointing to other groups of people and even another political party and talking about them in a, not just a fact-based way, but an evil way, um, then I think it creates a feeling that unless we're exactly like the person we're listening, we're not perhaps safe to share something else in our life with them. Um, any more thoughts on that before we move on, Colby? Um, actually, yeah. Good. One that came to mind uh, was I, I think that that stereotyping has also made it, uh, has made the coming out process a little more difficult for people, especially within the church. Um, I think that that process would have been a lot easier for me if while growing up, I, you know, if my mom came to me and said, you know what, being gay is if you're a guy or a male, you identify as male and you're attracted to other guys, 
attracted to other people that identify as male, like that's being gay, that's okay. Like giving me the education of what that was um, usually leads uh, to a, a really open communication environment. Um, and when we have environments that are, you know, I specifically remember sometimes my mom changing the channel if there were two guys kissing on TV or uh, I still remember the day we were listening to Ricky Martin and the day that he came out, we threw his CDs away. It was just like, that was what it was. And I think that that kind of environment pushes kids to explore and discover on their own. Um, especially online, which can lead to a lot of other issues like pornography and uh, misinformation. So I think that, you know, explaining different sexual identities to your kids at an appropriate age is really important um, so that they can help identify that within themselves. I like that. And a lot of LDS parents are going to respond in a lot of different ways with a TV show with two guys kissing. And, and one way is just a fact-based discussion that that could open up and just say those, just like, you know, if mom and dad are both sitting there, we are attracted to each other. We're attracted to people of the opposite sex. There are some people that are attracted to people of the same sex. And those are two men who, you know, they're attracted to each other. So just like mom mom and I, I'm thinking of the, I'm talking as the dad now, you know, kiss each other. Those two men kiss each other. And, and so that's just a sort of a biological fact-based discussion with no fear, no, no sort of, yeah. And then it's, then it could lead into church teachings and this is what our church believes and teaches. Um, and I think that's a, that would be a wonderful thing. I know when I'm boarding flights for Delta airlines and that's happening less frequently now, they're, they have all these pictures um, going down to the plane. And one of them is a couple, two men sitting together on the plane in this picture. And they're not kissing, but they're clearly a couple. And they're clearly yeah. one sort of nug, I don't know if nuggling's, I don't know if that's a word that's just snuggling. Snuggling. I don't know if those are <laughs> Osler family words or generally understood <laughs> words. Snuggling is probably a better one. And, and I just thought, you know, Maybe 10 years ago, I thought, well, that's just putting it in my face. And where is our society going? But now I just look at those are two humans, same members of my same family, human family that are moving forward in the life the way they feel is best for them. And to me, that won't confuse my children into being gay if they're straight. To me, it's just yeah. um, a factual representation of our society that has the chance to then for parents to open discussions up. Because I agree with your point, Colby. If we don't talk about this stuff, our kids want to learn about it. Yeah. Um, ben Shalotti, who's gay and at BYU in an honor code office, and I did a fireside last night. We're, we're recording this on a Monday, a Sunday night fireside with a bishop that wanted to have us speak to his youth in the Boston area. And it was a Zoom fireside. And um, the questions the youth asked, these are high school age, were just incredibly insightful questions. So you could tell they were thinking about LGBTQ issues for a long time before they ever had this fireside. And that bishop was inspired enough to thought, let's 
talk about this. Because yeah. if we don't, we're going to do all the things you talked about. And that just leads to shame. And, and we need to talk about this on a, in a factual way within our families and within our church communities. Because then everybody, um, I think, feels better and makes better decisions. Especially if you're LGBTQ, the shame around that is lowered if we're talking in a positive way about people like you. So um, talk about where you are with the church right now. Yeah, I, <laughs> that is such a complicated answer for me. Um, I made the decision, my, uh, my brother just got married to his beautiful wife um, and they had a civil marriage because of everything going on with uh, COVID-19. And um, they decided that they were going to be sealed when my mom comes up for Christmas in a couple months. And I told them that I had made the decision to that my temple recommend expired and that I had made the decision not to renew it yet. Um, and that I would be there at the temple for their sealing, like for them afterwards, but I wouldn't actually attend. Um, that's not to say that I am leaving the church or anything like that. I think my spiritual journey has been up and down for my whole life, and that it is constantly evolving. And just where I'm at currently has led me to develop my personal relationship with my Heavenly Father more on like kind of a one-on-one -on -one, uh, basis. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, I, I, I always get tongue-tied with, with answering this because I have You're so many a good friends job. that you're doing a Thank good you. job. <laughs> I uh, I have so many friends that love me so much and they're always just concerned about where I am in life and uh, they ask me this question often and I I know that there's a God and I know that he loves me and I more recently have felt that to return to him and to feel his love, I, I don't necessarily need the institution that is the church, but I, I still do believe and have a testimony of many, of many of the teachings and of the gospel. Talk about your relationship with Heavenly Father. Is that increasing or decreasing or pretty steady? Uh, that is, I would say, always increasing. Um, prayer for me has always been a little different, especially with my health. Um, it's become a lot more conversation-based than um, definitely more formal than we teach in the church. And that is... I have felt my Heavenly Father's love for me more and more as I just talk to him more and more. 
And that is something that I will never stop doing. Uh, I, I know some people who will only pray when they have tough things going on and they want guidance or advice or blessings. And thinking of if I were a father, I would want my kids to come to me, not just when they're having problems, but when things are good, when they just want to talk about things. Um, So I try to have that open communication with God as well. I love that. And um, I'm seeing more and more LGBTQ Latter-day Saints as they accept this part about themselves and learn to love their gender identity or sexual orientation the way a straight person naturally love it because there's no sort of straight phobia. It's just homophobia that's internalized. But then as they learn to love themselves, they learn to realize God loves them and they often have better relationships and sometimes even better relationships than my straight members because our institutional church, which I love and sustain and support, has more answers perhaps for straight members than LGBTQ members. And so sometimes LGBTQ members um, kind of don't have an owner's manual roadmaps, but the roadmap is, is there. We teach personal revelation. It's a fundamental core doctrine. Um, loving parents we have a direct relationship with that love us. And so I've noticed the theme, just what you've come is, is a great relationship with Heavenly Father. And just, um, and I love that we all, you just have this conversation with them. That's the way I love my kids to talk to me. And um, I think each of us need to figure out the very best way to have a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. So the other thought is, my impression is I just trust you, Colby. I, uh, you're not my son, and I realize your father's passed away, and I'm not your priesthood leader. And But when I hear someone talk like you, my impression is I just trust you. And I, I just, when you're not sure how the church is going to work for you long term, and I, I believe you want to marry a man, I, I would just say I trust you. And I'll be with you and I'll walk with you. And my role in your life is not conditional on any outcome or any specific choices. I just look at my role as a disciple of Christ to walk with you um, and to support you and trust you in your decisions and to keep you in my life because I can help you, but also because you can help me. And your friendship with me and the insights you have to me often help me. And I'm sure you're helping people that are close to you. Um, any more thoughts on that subject, Colby? Um, yeah, uh, I have, I could probably talk for, (laughs) for hours about this, but I, I kind of wanted to talk just a little bit more about, about personal revelation. Um, I think that there is something culturally that we could try to do a little bit better as members. Um, I noticed that if you were to talk to my mom and mention any problem, her first response would be pray about it. And that is, she always asks me, you know what I'm going to tell you? I'm like, yeah, you're going to tell me to pray about it. I know, I know that. Um, 
And that is such a great thing to teach. But I think we have this cultural thing where we want others to pray about something to get the answer that we want them to get. And so I will pray about something and come to my mom and say, you know what, this is the answer I got. This is what I'm supposed to do. I know it's from God. It's good. It's like, well, are you sure? Like, are you sure that that's the right answer? Like, you should pray about it more. You know, if it doesn't line up, we have this culture of saying, like, it's either not from Heavenly Father or we didn't pray about it hard enough. We didn't have enough faith. We didn't whatever. And if I were to come back and say, you know what, I got the same answer as you, I completely agree, then everything would be fine. (laughs) Uh, So I think that there needs to be, I think there needs to be kind of the walk behind the talk of, uh, we believe in personal revelation because it's personal. It's for me. It's not for anyone else. Um, I get the answers that I get because it's, it's, it's my own. Oh. I like that. Um, I think one of my greatest rebukes of the Spirit, I've had a few of those in my life, and I'm remembering when I was a singles ward bishop, and I, had, I ended up having three young men that looked me in the eye and said, my path is not to serve a mission. And I invited them to pray about it. And I recognized that I had an agenda for them and I was using prayer in a manipulative way, perhaps, or even maybe it was okay as a priesthood leader. Um, but after visiting with them and maybe my own prayers, I recognized that they were receiving personal revelation for them that was specific to them. And instead of inviting them, I recognized that the further I, more I did that, I would drive a wedge between them and the church because I sort of represented the church and their ability to fully participate may significantly change. Um, and I just, it was kind of a paradigm shifting thing for me, Colby. And I just gradually over time, it became clear to me why none of these three men's path was to serve a mission. Um, one of them, when I was a Salt Lake City temple work, uh, worker, I was working the groom's desk that day and he walked in. Um, he had been through the temple, he'd been endowed, he was getting married. And I just sort of... It, increased clarity happened in that moment of that was not his path. And so I, I love that. And I, of course, would invite everybody to serve a mission, everybody to stay in our church, everybody to stay on the covenant path. But I don't think we're trying to, you know, but I think what we're trying to say is just, I think if we invite people to pray about it, but in our heart, we have the answer we hope them to find that's different than if we invite someone to pray about it and we're completely at peace with the answer they find. And I think that's the important clarification that Colby's sharing with us. And, and I've just been at peace with that. My personal revelation doesn't give me the ability to assess the accuracy of somebody else's personal revelation. That I don't know any doctrinal foundation that provides me the ability to do that. Now, there may be some exceptions to that, Maybe. <laughs> One, I think, is a priesthood leader, you know, possibly, but I've given where I felt I've, um, but I'm not sure that's 100% true. And sometimes as a parent, especially a parent of a child that's sort of pre-adult age, 
I think particularly God works through parents to know, to help their children to the, to the right choices. But I think as children come into adulthood and accountability, and accountability really starts at eight, I think there's a feeling that we should, you know, look at them as, as adults. And I think that's the way God looks at them. And, and our job is to um, keep them in our lives and keep them making good decisions. That's a great segment. Um, I hope I've communicated listeners what I feel on that. Um, creating some nuance there that I think parents and leaders have a role. Um, and I think Colby and I both agree with that. But I think if our role is 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 just to, to exactly reflect our will or what our thinking of a situation, we may not have totality of the situation that Heavenly Father has in the person we're working with. So I think we need to be open that our limited view may not have the full story of what's right in a situation. I'm going to send it back to you, Colby, for just any more thoughts on this segment. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. Um, as you have kind of talked about that, I, there are a lot of conversations I've had with my mom are coming to forefront. Um, I always worry when I tell my mom something, um, either like a decision that I've made or something I've chosen to do that doesn't line up with what she um, thinks I should be doing or what's best for me. Just, um, just the fear sometimes I see. Um, from my mom thinking that because I am doing something contrary to what she believes that somehow she's going to be punished for that after this life or that she's going to be held responsible for the decisions, all the decisions that I make. Um, this was uh, one of the major things when I came out, it was, when I first came out, I thought it was a, I have to be abstinent and keep the gospel. And this is just a thing that'll change when I die. And it was the struggle that, you know, if that's true, then great. I, you know, I, I did it for my family. We're going to all be together. If that's not true, then I have wasted my ability to love someone else here while on this mortal earth and it's a struggle because i see parents especially my mom go through this wrestle in their head that just because i made a decision that they're going to be held responsible for that um and I, I don't think that a loving Heavenly Father would, would hold any parent responsible for something or a decision that their kid made fully knowing what was going on. I agree with that. And you're pretty sensitive to your mom. And I know you love your mom. And you don't want to have your choices yeah. become a burden to her, yeah. um, especially if you feel your path is to marry a man. And 
In chapter 11, 10 of my book, I talk about when a family member leaves the church. And the goal of that chapter is not to invite more people to leave the church. <laughs> it's to pragmatically find principles that apply in this situation that keep us together and keep hopes intact that there won't be any seats at the table in the next life and leave that at the Savior's feet and not predetermine now what, what a future outcome that we don't know about. Um, our doctrine about even moving between kingdoms in the next life is not final. The last statement the First Presidency has made, I reference in that chapter, that the church has no official policy of can we move between kingdoms. And so I don't want to imply that we do or don't, but I just love our doctrine that our heavenly parents want all of their children to get back to them. And they have a pretty long view of this. And um, there's a lot of, and so I just think we can be at peace with other decisions and own the doctrine of loving heavenly parents and this beautiful plan of salvation and not determine now someone's future station. Elder Gay's talk is one of my favorites where he went and gave a priesthood blessing to his sister who was dying. And his words are, she was never, never fully active in the church. But in that blessing, he received a spiritual rebuke using his words about he only saw her in the lens that she was not active in the church. And she, he failed to feel God's love for her and that she faced difficult issues that he didn't didn't face or perhaps fully understand. It's a great talk. And it's not inviting people to leave the church. I think it's trying to help us understand our beautiful restored doctrine that should give us peace with people in our lives that have chosen a different path. Hope and peace of the gospel are two of my favorite things. And um, that's, and so I'm with you on that. And I just um, rightly so parents, I think moms more than dads, I think dads can keep it a little more moms. It's kind of in their heart. And sometimes moms, and I talk about this in the book, sort of do self-reflect and think this is my fault. Or if I just had scripture study more, or just been a little more faithful or didn't work outside the home or, you know, just the list goes on and on and on. It can be a pretty self-destructive inward reflection, especially for moms that can be harder on themselves than dads. And so I think Heavenly Father would, is, would be pretty loving to moms that have children that have, are not fully participating in the church and cause them not to look inward and say, it's your fault. So oh. you need self-love too, parents. <laughs> um, talk about um, this and I want to spend maybe 10 or 15 minutes in this last segment. Um, so you have what I would call a life and death illness from everything I know about it. This could take your life, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I don't want to, I mean, that could be a podcast all in itself, a 26 year old man fighting for his life. Um, how many of us at 26 were fighting for our lives? I was, you know, in this blissful bubble of dating and working and having everything lined up for me. There was no question about my future. I knew I could find a wife. I had good health. And here you are at 26, um, you know, fighting for your life. Uh, you've been in the hospital. Do you know how many days, you nights you've spent in the hospital? You, or do you want to think? He's rolling his eyes, <laughs> listeners, so I could just tell it's, it's a big number. And he, yeah. Um, I'm sure it's over 50 or 100. Mm -hmm. It and, definitely is. That's I don't even think my, I could count on 
don't even think I could count. And I was worried we're going to lose you, you know, and we never do this podcast and some of those, and you've got financial burdens galore. And if you do want to call, you know, donate to Colby's medical bills and you feel impressed to do that, please go to Colby Lowe's Facebook page. And he has rightly so he's, I don't think it's a sign of weakness. I think it's just a sign of the reality of the situation. You are at times asking for donations to cover medical bills. And I think that's great. And um, any listeners that feel like they could help Colby out, please go to his page and donate. We didn't, neither of us did this podcast with that goal. Colby has never asked me to do anything like that, but it just is the reality of his situation. But, you know, some people would say you were straight in the pre-mortal life. Um, You were disease-free in the pre-mortal life. You came to mortality and because of a fallen world, you became gay and you also you know, of colon cancer and all these other challenges. And in the resurrection, your body, your resurrected body will be free of all disease and you will be straight. Um, That is one narrative. Um, Another narrative is, you know, that all that is true about your physical disease, but your orientation is a different, a different category completely. So just walk our listeners, um, how just explain i know you've spent hundreds of hours <laughs> thinking about this so share with our listeners yeah. yeah um oh this is something that i wrestled with for such a long time um i i don't think that i am going to be magically cured of being gay I don't think that it is a trial. Um, I only think it's a trial in the sense that it rivals our current church culture. Um, I don't. I don't think it's a disease. I don't think it's something that we were given to help us learn something. I think that we were just made who we are. And that that is part of us. Um, something that has fueled that belief is, you know, I, growing up in the church, had this idea of family and teamwork and love and kids, all of this stuff kind of drilled into my head, um, where I now being out and gay, I want a family. I want kids. I want a husband. And I think that family or our idea of family extends beyond just our bloodline. Um, I'm sure that families who can't conceive maybe have a, a similar view where adoption, those kids mean just as much to them as kids that they'd have like biologically or naturally. Um, I think that sometimes sometimes our families can let us down and that a lot of our kind of family unit can be built with priesthood leaders, with friends, other people that love us. And so I don't think that it's just something that was given and I have to 
work through it because it's hard and then I'll, I'll be cured. Um, my, my altering, my alternate view though on health, I have gone back and forth about this too, is there's a, there is a church culture thing where it's like, Oh, we knew what trials like we were going to have or that we were going to have to go through on this earth. And I, I don't agree with that. I, I don't think I would have chosen these things um, in the pre-existence. I don't think that I could have even comprehended what cancer was without having it had a body and knowing the kind of destruction that it would cause. Um, I think that there are things and laws that God even has to abide by. Um, and that some of those things are he, he knew by creating us and creating this earth that there are sicknesses and things that just happen. Um, just because it's part of life, part of being here. Our bodies aren't perfect. Um, that's something where I, I can't imagine a loving Heavenly Father giving someone this kind of an illness just to learn something. Um, I, um, I've talked about this a little bit before, but I don't want, when I, when I finally return to my heavenly father's presence and I'm asking him why, like, why did I have cancer? Why did I have Crohn's? Why did all this stuff happen to me? Um, I don't want him to say like, oh, I gave it to you to learn a lesson or I gave it to you to learn something and you're stronger because of it. So great. Um, I picture me coming up to my father in heaven and falling to my knees and pleading like, why? And just having him say, I know, like, I know that that was a hard road. I know that those were hard things to go through. Like, my hands were tied. I just kind of, I'm so sorry. But you had to have those experiences on earth to be able to return to me. I can't imagine a world where He just gives these illnesses to people to, to just learn something. Um, and that's where I think that his hands are kind of tied. They're just things that <clears throat> happen. And my views <clears throat> on that are always changing. Um, but I because of the relationship I have with my Heavenly Father, I know what 
I know what that interaction is going to be like. That's a beautiful segment. On behalf of all of our listeners, thank you, Colby, for kind of opening that part of your heart up to us. No one's ever talked about that on a podcast. Um, I wrote down a lot of thoughts came to my mind. One is, um, I realize sometimes if I go down this road that you're given an illness because you need to learn something, that that sort of implies that I, since I don't have colon cancer or Crohn's, um, I didn't ever have to learn what you're learning. And so I must be better than you. <laughs> Or I've already have a relationship with Heavenly Father and you needed that disease to have a relationship. So it keeps me emotionally safe. And in a worst case scenario, actually adds to pride that and causes me not to look inward and recognize I may need to learn the same lessons or even more so than you. And I shouldn't look at someone's illness or lack of illness as a standing, as their standing with God and the lessons that they may or may not need to learn. And that's one thought I've never thought of before, but I bet I've done that at times. Um, the other thought that came to my mind is if I think it's just a specific trial for you, it may make it more safe. For, it's a platitude where I can just point to the next life and say everything will be okay, but it, it keeps me from fully understanding the difficulty of your situation and that it could be me walking the very same road as we're all in a mortal world subject to just the things that happen in a mortal world that maybe I sometimes think we just signed up for mortality and we're in a mortal world that God set up with his laws and mortal experiences happen. And he obviously has the power to, to change mortal experiences and to cure cancer, to keep me safe. But it seems like a lot of the time he allows mortality to go on with these laws that put in place. And if I go down that road, I think I'm equally as likely to get colon cancer as you are. And Crohn's, um, because we're both part of the same mortal world, and I just haven't. Um, but it doesn't mean that God's trying to teach you lessons that he doesn't need to teach me. I love where you go to God at the end, and it's not about the lessons you've learned. It's just about he's there for you, and he's just sitting with you in the pain. Because only he and the Savior really know how painful this road is for you. I love that. To me, it's a, such a wonderful insight into loving Heavenly Father that you have learned to get to know really well. Yeah. I think he's really proud of you, Colby, and I think he loves you. And I think he yeah. would. I think he can see at the 40,000, I do kind of believe he can see at the 40,000 foot level and know that your very best eternal moments are ahead of you and that this will this being your cancer will be lifted um, and it will all be worth it. But I just don't want to point to the next life to sort of minimize the pain you feel right now because you're 26. You have these hopes and dreams ahead of you to marry a man, to have a family, to be cancer free. It's everything I hoped. Well, I didn't hope to marry a man at 26, but I hope to have a life partner. I was single at 26 and I hope to have a life partner and raise a family and be healthy and I, I love those hopes for you, and I hope they happen. But I just yeah. recognize there's a lot of fog in your life wondering, how is that going to happen? Um, talk about, do you think you're, 
your eternal identity obviously isn't cancer. This, I assume you're saying this is a, a mortal thing that's come into my mortal body and is not part of my eternal identity. This will not be with me. Hopefully yeah. the rest of mortality and certainly not for eternity. Talk about your sexual orientation. Do you think that's part of your eternal identity or do you think that's something that will end with mortality or do you not know? Oh, well, I couldn't, I can't say for sure. So I don't know. Um, but I think that our, the entire family unit is not just about a man marrying a woman and having kids. I think that the family unit that we create here on this earth through different relationships will extend onto the next life. Um, again, that's always changing. <laughs> Um, but I don't think that I will be forced to do anything that's contrary to who I am. Um, I don't think that my sexual orientation is part of a mortal body thing that will be healed. I, that's such a hard question. Um, I, I think it's good that you don't have certitude. Um, I think it's good that you're still, um, to me, that's a sign of strength is you're not exactly sure, but I know you're thinking about it and praying about it. And I think that's just part of, we don't have firm answers to everything, but I, um, and I recognize and in the book, I talk about some, some gay Latter-day Saints really do think they'll be straight in the next life. They'd welcome relief. It's a brutal road, but some don't feel that way. They think this is part of their whole essence. I was, I thought of cancer and I'm not a medical doctor, but I recognize the goal with cancer for you is chemotherapy is trying to kill these cells. And surgery obviously is to take out the bad cells. And the assumption is, and obviously the understanding is the rest of your body's awesome and healthy. You're just trying to take out this bad part the very best way, given the science that we understand to do this. Um, and I recognize you're free of colon cancer because of this. But to me, and I can't talk for LGBTQ people, to me, the way I've started to look at this is sexual orientation is not like that. It's not this part of you that needs to be carved out. If we could just find the gay section of you, Colby, we could carve that out or we could kill it with something, then it would go away. To me, it's sort of like your very essence and all your gifts and contributions and Christ-like attributes. And it's all tied into that. It's not something that's meant to be isolated and carved out. Um, but it's who you are. And it's a beautiful part of who you are. And it's, it's completely different than this destructive part that's invaded your body um, because of a mortal world that you and your doctors are doing everything to, to solve. That's sort of a thought that came to my mind, but tell me how you feel about all that. Yeah, no, you, you definitely put that into uh, way better words than <laughs> I was trying to. Um, I just, me being gay isn't a bad thing. Like it's not 
It's just not something that needs to be removed. It, it is part of who I am, and it's not going to change. And I like when you said that earlier in the podcast, and when you came out to people, you knew that wasn't going to change. And I, um, I believe that the atonement of Jesus Christ, I don't think changes sexual orientation, but it can heal, it can give hope. And I think you're taking advantage of that part of the atonement to be in the place you are, that you feel that you can, and you are having such a great relationship with heavenly parents. Um, you have, on behalf of our listeners, Colby, you have a tender, kind, loving, wonderful spirit. I just, I don't, and you could be so angry, and maybe you are sometimes. I've learned to honor anger. When I actually hear somebody tell someone, don't be angry, I don't agree with that advice because pain, pain is part of mortality and that leads to anger, which is to me is a normal secondary emotional response. And to me, agency sort of kicks in what we do with that anger over a period of time. But you, ha- you could be really angry. You could be really bitter. <laughs> And you could be, and you're not. I see that in your eyes as I look at, on the Zoom. I see, I feel it in your spirit. I feel it in your words. Um, I think you're doing a great job walking a, an incredibly complicated road. And I think our listeners can feel your spirit. You brought hope and healing and an understanding that no one's ever brought on some really complicated issues in this podcast. I'd love to make. I'd love to ask you two questions. One, I'd ha- love to have you talk to closeted LGBTQ people. Just what you'd say to them, because they're reaching out to you right now anyway, and you've been having a lot of those discussions. And then, I just any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. Um, to anybody who is closeted. Your heavenly father loves you. And I know that that is such a hard thing to grasp, even if you don't believe in God or no matter where you are. But by me saying that, I also mean that there are people who love you for who you are and care about you and care about your well being. Um, that coming out is definitely a personal decision. And so it's not a decision to take lightly. You need to do it in the time and manner that you feel it appropriate. Um, and ultimately it is about you. Um, I had to grow to not really care what other people thought about me. Um, and that's just who you are and when you share that and how you share that is completely up to you. Um, I, Richard, I'm so thankful for you reaching out to me and inviting me on your podcast um, to be able to talk to your audience, to talk to kids who are struggling, talk to parents who are struggling. Um, it means the world to me that um, that you care that much about me and that you love me no matter what. Um, we didn't know each other before my coming out post, but 
after all that we've talked about and been through, like consider you a close friend and even part of my family. And so I thank you and I love you for that. I love you, Colby. My life is better off having you in it and the things you've taught me in this podcast and your good heart and your good spirit and you represent the very best of the world. And you are part of the reason I believe so much in the future because I see younger people like you um, authentically walking their life, walking forward with a relationship with Heavenly Father, doing the very best they can. And, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand people listen to these podcasts. It's not because of me. It's because of you, Colby, and a lot of people will be helped. And I hope people reach out to you and let you know how much you've helped them and bringing us together in the same human family. So Colby Lowe, that's C-O-L-B-Y Lowe, L-O-W-E. If anybody um, wants to Facebook stalk Colby, are you on Instagram or Twitter or should people find you on Facebook? Uh, Facebook's the best. Right. I'm on Instagram as well. Tell us what you are on Instagram. Oh, he uh, doesn't have a <laughs> I do have it. Oh, maybe. I don't. No, I do. Uh, it's just Colby Lowe H. All right. Yeah. And tell us your father's name. Uh, Kevin. You know, how long, how old were you when Kevin died? I was 11. And obviously you're never out to him. And yeah. Have you had any impressions how he feels about you? Um, I know that he's proud of me. I know that he loves me. Um, and I know that he is proud of who I've become. I feel the same way. I think you've honored him in this podcast and with your life. I think he is really proud of you. And um, with that, this is Richard Osler and Colby Lowe. Um, and the wonderful spirit that's here signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.